Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 641, air date June 10th, 2020. There we go. All right, there we are. All right, everyone. Good evening. This is Dr. Shiva Ayodure, uh, and I'm here with young Pharaoh. Pharaoh, great to have you on, man. Listen, I love coming on and being able to support Dr. Shiva. Y'all know I love Dr. Shiva to death. Anything Dr. Shiva ever needs, he can get from me. And I'm here today to be as of, a, excuse me, to be of as much assistance as I can psychologically for you all. So thank you, Dr. Shiva, for having me. I'm looking forward to having a great show. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and, and to everyone joining, uh, I think we're gonna discuss an issue uh, which, uh, is about racism. And I think the good news is that this stuff is all over the press. The bad news is we're not really talking about racism. We're talking about a fake version of racism. We're gonna get down to real racism. That's right. Because if we really wanna solve this, it's about time that we talked about racism for far too long. Um, we'll, we'll get into this. The right, what you call the Republican establishment, denies that racism exists, right? So therefore they create this big vacuum. And then the left, takes over it, and they've reduced racism to two litmus tests. If you don't use the N-word, and then you support affirmative action, which actually pits black against whites, then you're not a racist. And I know we're gonna, what I want to do, uh, young Farrell, is, is to really define racism. Yes, what is racism? And it's going to be a deep discussion, which you're not going to get from the multiracial liberal aristocracy, Right. Because you want to bound racism to this two little things. And then the establishment Republicans don't want to talk about it. So they work hand in hand. So we never, ever discuss the issue. So um, the agenda for today will be, um, I'm just going to first start off just quickly letting everyone know that I'm running for Senate. We'll end with that. Um, and then I'm going to share with you some very interesting slides. Um, and there's two sets of slides. And I wanna ask people what, what they actually are seeing. And then we're gonna talk about what took place. And then, then I have some slides to really talk about the economics of racism. And, uh, uh, and then we'll discuss, okay? So let me, uh, first of all, invite everyone. Farrah, do you wanna say anything before I start? Um, I wanna say that that comment about Yabba Dabba uh, Wilma was hilarious. Uh, I know where that's from. And that was, you know, that was great. That was a great comment, made me laugh. And on top of that, I wanna say, when, when discussing racism, I think it's very important that you guys listen to both our ideologies because not only do not only are we both ex very experienced in racism, okay, especially dealing with it on from the bad side of it, we are very uh, qualified, not just in Dr. Shiva's lane pol politically, I mean, excuse me, scientifically and politically, but in my lane, I would like to say scientifically, politically, as well as through my experiences with dealing with actual racist people not just in school, but in law enforcement. And so what Dr. Shiva is going to say and what he's going to break down involving, you know, the left and the right, a lot of those things I can attest to, not just because when we hear something that's truthful, it, it pings in our pineal gland, but because I've experienced it. And I've, I know systematic racism better than anybody else walking around right now around my age. Yeah, and I, and I think Pharaoh, to that point, I have not shared... Because what's happened is in this world, if you start talking about the real racism, they said, oh, you're just making excuses. Typically, the Republican establishment. I'm not talking about Trump. I'm talking about the Republican establishment. 
I mean, when I grew up in India, the caste system was racism on steroids. And then I'll give you some examples where my own house where police barged in cops because they didn't believe I lived in this neighborhood. Right. This was back in 2004. Okay. Right. When the, the police force here in Belmont had a cop who was sodomizing young kids for 30 years. Wow. So I'll get, I will talk about that, but I think both of the, of, of us, uh, maybe we're 20 years different, but I've been at, at the receiving end of racism. So this is not theoretical for us. Uh, this is something real for right. both of us. So, and on top of that, to prove your point, just to piggyback you, right? I've recently, you know, had an experience where, you know, and I'm not going to name drop, but apparently some attorneys didn't want to help me out with an issue because I used the N-word. And this goes right into, you know, what you're talking about, how they try to say, oh, if you know, if you use certain words or you don't, then racism is either dead or alive. And, you know, the reason that that's important is because the N-word is not an issue of race. It's a it's an issue of, of cultural understanding. So, you know, Dr. Shiva being very in-depth and in tune with, you know, Eastern philosophy and myself, we know the N-word to come from Naga, Nigas, Niger. So that means, you know, divine, divinity and, 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 and positive things. And so the word was actually demonized by colonizers. And so not only was a word that was used to venerate uh, a, a spiritual a spiritual notion demonized by colonizers, now the colonizers then tell you, we're going to demonize you if you use it. And so, you know, this is this is uh, the levels of racism that we that we're going to be speaking about today and getting into not, you know, your average. You know, I'm wearing a hood and I got a clan racism. We're talking about philosophical racism, uh, you know, political racism, systematic racism, um, just misunderstood misunderstandings that are hybridized as racism. So real yeah. fake racism. Yes. Yeah. So I think those of you listening to it, I think this talk today is going to be a historic talk without any hype because we're going to get deep into racism. It's going to be we're going to talk about racism like none of you have heard before. Uh, because the liberal elite media, and when I mean the liberal elite media, I'm talking about be it black and white, be it Obama or Romney or Elizabeth Warren or Hillary Clinton or the Kennedys. By the way, the Kennedys are the biggest racists. I mean, people should go read the diary of John Kennedy that just came out, how much he loved. He thought Hitler was a great guy. This just came out. Hit, Kennedys hide it. Okay. When I came out exposing the vaccine stuff, Robert Kennedy, such a freaking racist, he had to suppress me and make up lies that I'm a vaccine company. This because only the Kennedys can be activists. Right. Only white boys can be activists by the Kennedy clan or who they anoint, like Martin Luther King. And we're right. going to talk about that. We live in a world where even the so-called liberal left decides which black face or Indian face they're going to put in front of you to decide that now you have a, your anointed leader. And, and right. I think to your point is that, you know, there's a great book called Language is Thought. Mm -hmm. Whenever a colonizer took over somebody, the first thing they did was eliminate their language. I remember my parents are from South India when we were in North India. When I went to school, I was told I was beat up for, by the teachers for speaking my native South Indian language. Wow. So the control of language, don't use the N-word. Well, who the hell are you to tell me to, what I can use? Right. This is the way that you control people's thoughts. Right. Language is thought. For example, Pharaoh, in the English language, there are certain thoughts. And in, in, in the Tamil language, which is one of the oldest languages in the world, there are thoughts that I can't even say in English. It's really weird. Right. There are 
thoughts and emotions that I can experience in this language that cannot, unless you go into music or poetry. Right. There's no words for it. The, the English language is in many ways very restricted. Yes. Yeah, bandwidth issues. Yeah, English, English, you know, for those of you who don't know, it's the most difficult language to learn because it's the most distorted. And it's actually an occult language used to suffocate your consciousness. I don't want to offend anybody, but that's the truth. And so if you want to actually, you know, delve scientifically more into what Dr. She was talking about, you would study what's called psycholinguistics, you know, how you're psycho how, how you're psychologically affected. I mean, affected by, you know, your language, your your language, your excuse me, your linguistic system. And um English, I just want to drop a jewel, is meant to keep your brain fluctuating at the lowest state of, of, of megahertz frequency, which is beta and alpha. So this is why I use the alphabet. You formulate sentences. Sentences, by definition, is punishment to create uh, grammar. Grammar from, comes from the French word grimoire, which means to summon demons. You get your English language from hybridized Germanic and runic language, which is used to cast spells. So I just want y'all to know language comes from the word language, which means to suffer. So this comes all the way back to what Dr. Shiva just said about when they colonize you, the first thing they do is take your language because your language reflects your consciousness from a third dimensional and a fourth dimensional perspective. Yeah, that's right on. Yeah, so so the, when you remove people's language, you're actually not just removing their tongue, you're actually doing something more deeper. You're removing their spiritual consciousness. That's right. Um, so it's it's quite amazing. So you know, uh, you know, I was fortunate. I learned this very ancient language. I learned English, a couple of things. So my brain thinks a little bit differently. I can see the world in a different way because I have certain emotional cues That's right. that, that that don't even exist in English at all. So let me just quickly jump over and just share quickly, uh, briefly uh, that everyone should know who's out there. If you don't know now, you know, I'm running for U.S. Senate. And the main piece of our campaign is truth, freedom, and health. And those words, Farrell, you and I spoke about, they're not just little, you know, campaign words. They're a systems approach, which right. says that you need freedom because freedom is the ability to dis discourse, have conversations without restrictions on language, frankly. And that's what we're talking about. You, you choke people's language, you constrain thought, which means you can't practice a scientific method, which is really inquiring what the universe is about, and you never get the truth. And so what you do is you choke freedom and you use scientific consensus to get to fiction. Now, now with truth, you can look at a real, you can identify a real problem and a real solution for your health. So you can say, you know what? The real problem is not, the, I mean, the real solution, not vaccines to immunity. I got to build my immunity. I got to boost my immunity. Right. And with health, you get the strength to fight for freedom. So that's what our campaign's about. Everyone knows um, that part of, our running, and I use always use the word our because this campaign for truth, freedom, and health has gone global. Hundreds of millions of people know about it now. And when people support our campaign, um, I want to educate everyone on a systems approach to looking at the world. And that's why I wrote System and Revolution. It's about taking 40 years of knowledge so you can understand what is a system scientifically and what is actually revolution, not just some word. What is it? And then I give you a tool called Your Body, Your System, where you actually can learn to apply those principles on your body as a laboratory to understand how the body is a system. And those of you out, and this is, by the way, the Farah, as you know, the only people who can donate to our campaign are people in the United States. But a lot of people have asked, hey, I want that tool in that book. They can go directly to your body, your system. You right. can go there and you can really understand with this tool how your body is a, has a particular homeostasis where your body likes to be that red dot will calculate. The black dot is where your body is now based on different things you've been doing or not doing. 
And then you can calculate how through inputs, food, supplements, you can bring your body back to itself. But the goal of this is really not about just health, but it's to teach you how systems work. And one of the main things you'll learn is that you're basically a robot if you don't have a goal in life. Because if you don't have a goal, the establishment is going to impose a goal on you. And then you just become an automaton. You get an input and output, input, output. But if you have a goal and a direction you want to go to, your body already has a goal, by the way. But if you don't have a goal, others will manipulate you. But you have a goal, you realize you have to constantly be on watch of where you're at and then how you manipulate using your mind, your own inputs to yourself to get you to that goal. But without a goal, you're basically a robot. Right. There are machines which are... Um, uh, more uh, smarter in that sense if you don't have a goal in life. That's right, most definitely. So what I wanted to start here, Pharaoh, is I have this picture here, okay? Can you see this? That's right. What do you think that picture is of? I'm hoping that uh, this is not people protesting recently. That's what I'm hoping. Well, it looks like that though, right? Yes. This is about 40,000 people in Boston, okay? Oh yeah, there we go. Okay, this is 40,000 people protesting, okay? Now you probably think it's for George Floyd, right? Because you've seen pictures like this, right? Yes, sir. Okay, here's another picture, Boston. All right? Wow. This. All right, you see this? Boston, Massachusetts, 40,000. Now, here's, a, here's the thing, guess what it was? This was not George Floyd. And this is a great way, this was August 17th, 2017 in Boston, Massachusetts. It looks very similar though, doesn't it? Right. Very similar. Okay. 40,000 people came to protest a free speech rally. Now look at this picture here. What do you see? Mask, 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 right? And I was just looking at this right before this call. This was August 17th, 2017. Masks, a lot of people. Okay. A lot of Antifa people here. Okay. What were they coming to protest? They were coming to protest these people in this, this is known as a famous um, uh, place, uh, the Parkman Bandstand where people like Marcus Garvey have spoken, okay? It's okay. a big center for free speech in the middle of Boston Common, the center of freedom, free speech. So all these people here you see converge to protest the people here, August 17, 2017. Look at this. This, these are the people in there. Two sets of police barricades were kept up to keep these 40,000 people away from these people. Wow. You know who was in there? Who was in there? Me. There you go. What do you see? Black I'm holding signs that say no to GMOs. I'm holding a sign that says black lives do matter. Okay? And I'll get to this. That's right. All right? And, and okay, so let me tell you what happened. I'll come, come. This is quite fascinating. Okay? So everyone see that. So every, every liberal fool seeing that will probably say, oh my God, that's George Floyd. We got to go protest these guys. Let me tell you what happened. <laughs> On March of 2017, uh, Pharaoh, a bunch of young kids called me up and they said, hey, Dr. Shiva, we want you to come uh, be a speaker. I, I had just announced I was running for Senate at our Boston Free Speech Rally. And I, and I always love young people you know, being activists going on the ground, speaking their views. And these young kids, Farrow, invited me. They invited a person who was into cannabis. They'd invited Green Party people. They'd invited Joe Biggs, who was a big Trump guy. They'd invited Gavin McGinnis. They'd invited, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, libertarians. 
They'd invited black, white, all, all sorts of people. So I said, I'd go. All right, March 17th, forgot about it. Now, a few days before the event was gonna take place, August 17th was guess what? Charlottesville. Okay. All right. Now, some of those people were right wingers. They were branded like Gavin and some other people. So in Massachusetts, there are two government officials. One of them is a guy by the name of Marty Walsh, who is the mayor of Boston, who was running that year against a black guy. Okay? Right. In Boston for re-election. He was running against uh, a young, young black um, Democrat. Charlie Baker, who's a Republican, quote unquote, Republican governor, who, by the way, said he would never vote for Trump, which means he voted for Hillary, right. which is the establishment, who, right. by the way, is a racist. He hates me. OK, when I ran for Republican, he didn't even want me on the ballot. This is Charlie Baker, the governor. You think he would absorb someone like me, meritocracy, MIT guy. Instead, right. he found a fool who photoshopped a picture with Trump. There's three hands with the picture shaking hands. There's, he didn't shake his hand put him as his boy to run against me. Wow. So making sure I would never get on the Republican ballot, forcing me to run as an independent. That's Charlie Baker, the governor of Massachusetts. He was running against a Hispanic guy that year, okay? So when Charlottesville took place, they knew that these kids had organized, and you know, and remember these kids had invited people from all spectrums, political spectrums. Right. So they wanted to be the big fighters against racism, like Mitt Romney, you know, out there, with Black Lives Matter and every Tom, Dick and Harry's now suddenly anti-racist, right? Wow. All these guys are anti-racist. So what they did was they branded our free speech rally as a Nazi event. Wow. A supremacist event. And they said, we must stop these Nazis. And they got everyone riled up. So riled up, Pharaoh, that this occurred. Oops that this occurred, let me bring you up what I just shared with you, okay? So riled up that this nonsense took place. This many people showed up. They thought they were coming to protest Nazis in Massachusetts, in Boston. Can you believe this? Right, and really they come in to protest a, a, a very well knowledgeable doctor and some, and some, younger, some young right. actors. But look what they did here. They put barricades so these people were about a football field away. They couldn't even hear the talk, okay? Wow. So let me tell you what happened. So we go out there, and it was like, I'm like, what the hell's going on? 40,000 people against 40 of us. Right. It was like you were looking like Braveheart out at all these people. That's what it was like. And these were a lot of young kids. Now, I've been to a lot of protests. These kids were literally starting to pee in their pants, some of them. Right. And this is all Antifa people thinking they wanted blood. And it's us, the police, Boston police. And, and, the, and the thing was that I was a keynote speaker. The woman that spoke before me was this uh, woman who was into weed and smoking weed and pot, a woman called Anna Armstrong. And she does a saging and she smokes some weed, you know, just to bless the whole event. Right. And then I gave my talk. Okay. And what was my talk about? Well, my talk, interestingly enough, was about um, was about racism, but it was about the fact that who are the real racists and the discussion that we were just having right now. And that discussion went like this. We had, we said, look, we didn't put black lives matter. We said, yeah, black lives obviously matter, right? That's why we put the do, right. okay? 
We had no to GMOs, stop Monsanto. Okay, we had uh, clean air, clean water, clean food. And if you, there's a panoramic view. This guy behind me, Bart Van Putten, is a black African-American, light black guy, but he was the food service worker at MIT in, at MIT 1981. When I was a student at MIT, there's a picture of me burning the South African flag on the steps of MIT. MIT had investments in South Africa. There's a picture of me making sure more black students got into MIT. I was a fierce fighter on campus. We had massive protests to make sure MIT allowed more black students and built infrastructure for them because the inner cities were so bad, Pharaoh, that it was done in such a way MIT let black students in, but they made sure they'd fail so they could kick them out and justify it. Wow. We made, yeah, so what happened was, in 1968, there were only two black people at MIT. Shirley Jackson was a woman. She was getting her PhD dissertation. She threw down her PhD and she lectured all these white professors how disgusting it was. There was only two black people at MIT. The next year, they let in around 10 black students, 10 or 15. Those black students said, look, we come from the inner cities. We're never going to succeed here. You just let us in to get your affirmative action quota, but we're never going to succeed. Right. So they took over the MIT faculty club and they said, we deserve or we need all this infrastructure because the inner city didn't have it. So MIT was forced, but they were massive protests. Well, the net result was when I came to MIT by 81, more restrictions were taking place. My friends were not the Indians at MIT because they were racist. They right. weren't the elite white kids. My friends were the poor Hispanics, the poor black kids and the poor white kids. Why? Because the Indian kids who were on campus would ask me my last name and they would figure out my caste. You see, there's not a lot of people like wow. in America. And so when I'm talking about cat, uh, racism on steroids, right. I grew up in India where we were considered the untouchables, bottom of the bottom. We were supposed to be coconut pickers, right? So everyone was in a box. And I, my earliest memory I remember as a four-year-old kid was going to what I thought was my friend's home. I was told to stay outside by his mother yelling at me and given water in a different tin cup and he got it in a glass cup. That's when I went home and I asked my mom, what is it? She goes, oh, we're considered shudras, which is like the N-word. Right. Okay. And my mom would say when she used to go to the well to get water, they would chase away like a pig. So that is what I experienced in India. So when I came to the United States, these were these inner city black kids, Hispanic kids who came from the inner cities. This is the 80s. You don't find a lot of those kids anymore at MIT, by the way. Okay. Right. It's a bourgeois blacks now. All right. So the, the experience of racism I had was in that caste system end here. But the talk I gave here, Pharaoh, was an interesting talk. What the talk I gave was not about, it was not about, um, it was really defining racism. And I, and I, I was giving about free speech. I, I, what I said was, look, academia has become so corrupt. If you say anything against Monsanto, you're thrown out. We right. talked about academic free speech. We talked about the fact how Charlie Baker, who's a Republican establishment guy, is a racist. We talked about Marty Walsh, who's a racist. And then we talked about Hillary Clinton. You know, she said blacks are super predators, if you remember. We talked about Joe Biden, okay, who said Obama was the first clean black guy he'd met. We talked about Harry Reid, who was a member of the Klan. That's what my speech was about. Right. And when I ended my speech, Pharaoh, I ended with, we must bring people together in this country. Love, love, love. If everyone hears that speech, in fact, this newspaper covered it. GOP Senate candidate called for peace and love and love at Boston Free Speech Rally. Now they shut off all the they shut off all the internet so we couldn't stream out. Right. So luckily, Alan took a video of the whole thing, 
And we, when, when I was finishing my speech, the cops were like, because I was a Senate candidate, they were afraid I was going to get killed. So they escorted me and a few people out and Antifa comes at us. And I took a megaphone from someone and I started saying, you freaking idiots, you don't even know what I talk, talked about. And they all quieted down. If I had had more time, I think at least for the non-Antifa people, I could have flipped them. But they escorted us down the street into a hotel and I put up the video, which clearly showed what actually happened. Right. And as a result of that, one, one honest newspaper guy, only one of them, but every newspaper after that, the Indian newspaper called me a Nazi, a white supremacist, everywhere. And still to this day, people say, oh, you went to that Nazi rally, you, you know, and they'll start screaming at me still to this day. Right. But if you, the fortunate thing was, if you look here, this was a very interesting article that was written by this guy, Jeff Jacoby, who told the truth, only reported, he said, a free speech rally minus a free speech. And this is what he wrote. If one line captured the essence of Saturday's Boston Common Rally and counter-protest, it was a quote halfway through Mark Arsenault's page in the Globe. Excuse me, quote, one man in the counter-protest innocently asked a Globe reporter, where are the white supremacists? Yeah. The day in a nutshell, participants in the Boston Free Speech Rally had been demonized as a troop of neo-Nazis prepared to re reprise a horror that had erupted in Charlottesville. They turned out to be a couple dozen courteous people linked by little more than a commitment to, surprise, free speech. Then it said, indeed, nothing about the tiny rally seemed in any way connected with bigotry or hatred. One of the speakers was Shiva Iadure, an immigrant from India who was seeking the Republican nomination next year's Senate race. As Iadure spoke, his supporters held up line, Black Lives Do Matter. But he and others who gathered at the Parkman Van Center never stood a chance of competing with the rumor that neo-Nazis were coming to Boston. That toxic claim was irresponsibly fueled by Mayor Marty Walsh, who denounced the planned rally, Boston does not want you here. Even though the organizers were at pains to stress they had no connection to Charlottesville's racial agenda and intended to focus on the importance of free speech. So that's what I've been through, man, directly. So, you know, you and I were talking before, you know, your analysis with the whole George Floyd thing, how that was a theatrical event. Yes, but this event, if you look at those pictures again, man, it is not that different. I mean, look at this. Look at these pictures. You would think this was George Floyd. Exactly. You see? Coming to with masks. This is what's interesting. And that just shows you how they how they have the power to uh to use, you know, racial discourse to to move the people like pawns the way they want. All they gotta do is say exactly. this this is about to happen and races are behind it, and here people come running without actually doing a proper, you know, detailed analysis on their own. Right. So to me, you know, I, I hope everyone understands is you had two racists, two politicians who actually are racist. Right. Who used race. Here's the definition of racism. People who use race for their own financial, economic or political benefit. That's racism. Right. So in India or in American politics, you can have a guy in a, in a village go to India, a Christian guy go to his Christian say, so those Hindus smell. And they'll get all riled up or go to a bunch of Hindus and say, those Christians think you're you guys are like this and you can start a riot. Right. All of this is occurring before an election cycle. What that that event occurred right before an election cycle. So Americans need to get their heads clear. These people have political agendas. That's right. That's what this is about. And if this isn't clear enough, 
That's what actually took place in Boston. And it's ditto of Floyd, 40,000 people, 40,000 people who didn't even know what was being said. Right. Heard on by the media and two politicians who are, by the way, doing the same thing again in Boston now. Exactly. Exactly. And, and people need to realize this racial tensions in this country are or in the world period are the easiest thing are the easiest things to play on with the masses because they're the most sensitive, you know, emotional and psychological matters of subject. It's kind of like in your personal life, if your grandma passed away, you know, in school, when we ribbon, every joke is, is cool except for a grandma joke or we got to fight because it's a sensitive subject matter. So, you know, you got to realize these people, it, 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 it's like they, they understand society on a level that you don't really realize it because y'all don't study social engineering. So I always use the movie Get Out as an example, right? They want you to think that racist people are these, you know, down south duck dynasty type of white people that got these accents and you should be aware of them. But if you watch that movie Get Out, the most wicked people in that movie were professionals. These people know what they're doing. So, yeah. you know, which I got to realize is these political entities are professional thinkers. And, and, and anybody that knows anything about people that are intelligent, you're either extremely righteous or you're extremely wicked. So intelligence can be weaponized. So these people are, these are the same people that engineer society. These are the same people that say, this is how we want people to think for the next 10 years. So these are the people that are just pulling strings at free will. So y'all can't just keep being so emotionally impulsive to where somebody says, neo-Nazis are coming to Massachusetts to, you know, give a, give a rally. And y'all come out 40,000 deep to have some teenagers pissing on themselves. And Dr. She was trying to save the day. So the, the, the public has to do their due diligence with stabilizing their own minds and, and educating themselves and hearing things that they don't like. And instead of immediately jumping on it, researching, uh, you know, what was told to them and asking themselves, is this something that I should actually jump on or else you're going to re keep repeating the same things you not only did to Dr. Shiva, but what y'all did with George Floyd. OK, and I just want to sidebar this. For anybody that thinks that that's George Floyd, not out, not only have I brought a preponderance of facts, I want to ask y'all, where did that tattoo go on his chest? Because that guy with that white beater on does not have a tattoo on his chest. George Floyd has a tattoo on his chest. So for everybody that likes to argue because you want to sustain the artificial reality that you're comfortable in, where is that tattoo on George Floyd's chest? So, you know, that's another question I'm posing to Everybody that's trying to justify the fact that you went outside and was infiltrated by Antifa and used like pawns on the chessboard. Once again, behind a police uh, brutality based death that may have been staged. I just want to put that out there. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting because um, I, I think if you step back and we start recognizing, you know, in the interest of all humans that uh, you just said, you know, these thoughts these people are clever you know in the in the spiritual traditions my teachers taught me there's three types of uh consciousness right one type of consciousness is three eyes is intuition it's the highest form of thought the next level of consciousness is where you make decisions very fast right because you're connected to spirit the next type of thinking is called intelligence intellect which is what you just talked about cleverness it right. can be used for rationalizing like you you murdered someone but you could tell yourself why well, i really didn't murder them lawyers do this right it's a clever evil side 
or it could be used to figure out how, you know, to create a great invention to save humanity. That's the intelligence piece. Right. And the third form is instinctual consciousness. So there's intuitive, there's intellect, you know, intelligence, and then there's instinctive. Now, the intelligent, the intellectuals typically manipulate the instinctive people through emotion. You know, throw a picture of a, you know, uh, a Nazi flag. Oh, yeah, point to that. Throw a picture. Right. We, it's just like input, output, input, output. That's why I talk in systems theory, input, output. You manipulate right. people. That's why if people don't have a goal, you can be manipulated. That's right. Very, very cap. But those are three types of intelligence. And these people in power, particularly when you talk about thought, where does most of the thought in the world come from? Right down the street here, Farrell. The center of thought, I would argue, is Boston, Cambridge, Massachusetts, between the two epicenters of MIT and Harvard. Like if you probably looked at an energy form, you'd probably find the dark, whatever, the, the center forms there. Right. And around that is where all the elites get trained. Right. This is where they're thinking, they come up with the thought forms that then they put into action. For example, there's a big conference on June 18th by, at Harvard saying, we got to get rid of homeschooling. How unsafe. Yeah. So they figure out all their strategy. They figure out all their medical strategy for vaccines. All of this is figured out here. The home, by the way, of the Kennedys. John Kennedy, by the way, is the one who created the 1962 Vaccination Act. That's right. Kennedy is the one who then created the 19th Kennedy Vaccination Court. And Robert Kennedy, who's a complete scumbag, is the one who's manipulating all these poor, foolish people thinking he's against vaccines when he clearly says, I'm pro-vaccine. That's right. I want to vaccinate everyone. He's got a lot of white liberals and black liberals and yellow liberals running around thinking he's the savior. I was the first guy to expose him. But my point is the thought forms of evil are created right here. And they have, to your point, they have figured out how to engineer this game. And right. it, um, here, what I wanted to share was some very important chalk talk here. So as I mentioned at the beginning, the right doesn't, the right says that racism doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. You're saying, Shiva, it doesn't exist. Stop calling people racist, right? That's how they put down the real racism. Right. The left says don't use the N-word and support affirmative action. If you do these things, done. You can be Elizabeth Warren who lies, puts a, says she was an American Indian. You can be people like these people I mentioned uh, who use race. People like Romney, you know, who was a former governor who was marching there, right? He was a guy who made sure that the average net worth of black people in Boston is eight bucks. So let me just share with you, here's some facts. 20 years after every, uh, you know, busing, segregation is once again live. And in my view, um, and this is sort of, we can riff on this, this is my definition of racism. Here's a box and you put people into little boxes. And when people step out of those boxes, you lynch them. That's racism. That's right. And you hit these boxes. So for example, blonde jokes. If you're a blonde, right, you can be a cheerleader, you can be this. If you get out of that box, you're gonna be made fun of. I mean, that's an example. You know, this is a typical symbol of a black person, right? Watermelon or Al Jolson, right? This is those symbols, you know, Chinese person, every Chinese person must know Kung Fu, okay? Stereotype. Or like you said, poor guy in the South, he must be a Klansman, okay? Right. And, but they forget the real Klans people are right here in Massachusetts. Those people walking around in the halls of Harvard and these big institutions, but they'll blame this guy, right? That's easy. Or, you know, the guy who is a 7-Eleven guy must be, a poo, right? And then, and then the liberals say, you can't say that, or he must be a guy sitting under a tree. It's one of those symbols, right? right. Or if you're a nerd, you got to look like this, all effed up looking, right? 
Right. You know, or like, that's why this idiot who isn't even a science guy, Hollywood makes him the science guy. You say they're not that different looking. So Hollywood creates these very powerful images, right? Of what it means to be us. Right. And these are imprinted into people over and over and over again. But what they're really saying is if you want to be a nerd, you got to look like this. That's right. Okay? And that's why, you know, you know, we've spoken about the story of email, but I want to speak about it again, Farrell, because you have Wikipedia, who is a racist organization. That's right. And no one should be donating to them. I'm going to walk through the story of the invention of email because I believe now I can really talk about it even more deeper. That's right. Because it's ultimately the story of racism. You know, my uh, former ex, Fran Drescher, Fran did an article for LA Times and they said, oh, do you believe she invented email? And she said, yeah. And she goes, you know why? She goes, you guys don't want to accept it. I'm paraphrasing because it's an old white boys club. And I don't mean the poor whites. I'm talking about the rich white liberal elites. So let's talk about let's talk about this and let's review this. Because I believe if I was a white guy whose name was Feinstein, I had blue eyes and blonde hair, I'd be on every stamp. And we need to talk about this. Right. And it's not about being Jewish or not. It's about what they have decided means to be intelligent. And because ultimately smart, because that definition of creativity defines being a human being. So if you say only 0.0001% of the people can be innovative and creative, you're basically saying everyone else is subhuman. Right. Right. And that, and when you do that, and I'll come back to this point, what I want to put out there is, first of all, they put people in boxes. Why do they put people in boxes? to lower the cost of doing business for the elites. That's right. Let me explain. If everyone could be an innovator, if everyone could invent email and, and uh, you know, all these amazing inventions, we would lower the cost of invention. We would lower the cost of innovation. We'd have amazing products at lower cost. But what you do is you create a narrative that you got to look like this weird nerd. You got to drop out of Harvard. You got to have a story behind you. Okay. You got to go to MIT or Silicon Valley. And then you're branded as an innovator. Then you get the billions of dollars in VC funding, a few companies, a few Googles, a few Facebooks, and they are revered. But if innovation could occur anytime, any place by anybody, you blow that myth. So what we're doing is you're basically creating, imagine a factory room full of people, half people are black, half are white, half are women, half are men. You pay the dark people a little bit less, you pay the women a little bit less, and you got them all squabbling. Right. They never unite against they're real oppressor. So the reason I wanted to share this, Farrah, because I think if people are really get this, they'll realize the racism, the real racism that's taking place at a deep human, humanity level. Now, if you remember, when I was working as a 14-year-old kid in Newark, not at MIT, in Newark, New Jersey, uh, predominantly African-American, my friends there were the African-American workers, the secretaries, et cetera. I was given a job because of I was pretty smart. I, you know, I went to NYU as a 14-year-old kid in the computer science program. I started working as a full-time student at the University of Medicine Dentistry in Newark. I was given a job to convert the entire inner office mail system to the electronic version. Just to review, that system was where every office had a secretary, always a woman. She had an inbox, outbox. She had these things called folders, these big file folders, a little paper clip. She had this thing called a typewriter. She'd write a thing called a memo, which looked like this, you know? And on that memo, sometimes you could say to, from, subject, carbon copy. 
um, CC, blind carbon copy, you'd attach attachments and you'd put them in these things called envelopes. So let me explain to you. In those days, we had huge, big mainframes. You could send simple text messages. I'm not talking about the exchange of text messages. I'm talking about taking this entire complex system, inbox, outbox, folders, paperclip, uh, the address book, the ability to do a carbon copy, registered mail, the ability to attach attachments. Because my friends who were these women secretaries were not gonna go to the electronic version of that, which is my, what the challenge my superior gave to me. He was a great guy who didn't treat me like a kid. Great time in the 70s then. And, and uh, he gave me the opportunity to convert this entire system. By the way, they used to put those envelopes into these things into the electronic version. And I did that. I wrote 50,000 lines of code, Farrell, as a 14-year-old kid, would stay up until three, four in the morning. Amazing. Capturing every feature, every feature, okay? And you know what I did? I got it all working. People used it in the university. I used to give the seminars to train the secretaries. I wrote the document, I wrote the computer code, et cetera, everything. I was a one person software show, but I was given amazing freedom by these great people in the 70s in Newark, New Jersey. And I call that system email. First a term never existed. Wrote all the code, all those features call it email. This is in the Smithsonian now. Why did I call it email? It wasn't an obvious term. Five characters were the limitations of the operating system. And then here's me, you know, here's this teacher, this great teacher who changed the rules so this 14 year old kid could work full time while going to high school. There's Dr. Michelson, amazing people, very loving people. So email got created in this family. My parents were very supportive, great love, these great teachers and a great mentor. That's where email got created in that triangle. And then I went off to MIT. On the front page of MIT was listed the fact that we have three kids who've done some amazing things out of a thousand kids. So that was pretty clear, right? First of all, it's hard to get into MIT. And, and when I, um, uh, I was elected student body president, believe it or not, in September, in 81. And I was invited to the president's house and he said, Shiva, it's too bad you cannot copyright. I mean, it's too bad you can't patent email. This right. is uh, Dr. Paul Gray, who was science advisor to Reagan. So he's the one who advised me, Farrow, to copyright it. And it wasn't like my parents were lawyers and it wasn't simply putting a C with a circle. You had to write away for these forms, you had to fill it out, you had to submit all your code, very complicated process. And then on August 30th, 1982, I was given the first US copyright for email, recognizing me as the inventor of email. Okay, so let me just review these facts. That's right. Wrote all the code, busted my butt, got a software system working. You, all those features never had been done in the world, named it email, and have the first copyright at a time when copyright was the only way to protect software. That's right. This is black and white. I invented email, period. 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 Now, watch what happens, okay? That's what happens. So this is all done. Now, I was uh, 33 years later, Farrah, my dear mom is dying of a horrible disease. So I forgot about it. Remember, my, my, the reason I went to MIT, Farrah, was I was very interested in doing medical research, as we've talked about, trying to solve all this stuff. But in 2011, my mom's dying of a horrible disease called pulmonary fibrosis. This is 33 years later after the invention of email, 2011. And my mom had beautifully saved three months. It was a horrible disease. You die very fast. And there's my beautiful mom. And this is a, a woman who came from nothing, nothing. 
A woman of her time should never have graduated college. She did. Extraordinary woman. My mom wouldn't put up with any bullshit. So my mom in a suitcase, in a small Samsonite suitcase, had saved all those materials, Farah, very beautifully, meticulously. All my awards, everything. Right. Um, before she was dying, a friend of mine came to me and he said, Shiva, you invented email. And remember, I was, Indians are brought up to be humble, you know, which I think most people should be, right? We're not out there beating our chest. We did this, this, maybe we should have, okay? So a young, uh, a young reporter, in fact, not young, uh, Doug Ameth, who was the only reporter who's gone through all the material still to this day, factually, the senior editor, not some flunky, the senior editor of Time Magazine, went through all the materials and he writes this article. The man who invented email, laying out all the facts. No one said anything, November 11th. A few months later, I was gonna donate all my materials to my alma mater, MIT Pharaoh, because they have a museum down the street here. I said, I don't wanna keep, you, you can see the stuff was getting watermarked. This right. was historical. So MIT said, no, 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 we would be stealing it, Dr. Iadre, taking this. You should actually give it to the Smithsonian or the Computer History Museum. Both of them kept calling me and calling me, hey, we want your materials, right? Because it's a big competitive thing. Right. I eventually went to the Smithsonian. And then on February 16th, 2012, a month after my mom had died, I was inducted into the Smithsonian. And a young African-American, you can see her name, Washington Post reporter, wrote a beautiful article called Shiva Iadre, Inventor of Email, Honored by the Smithsonian, okay? Now you would think people should get excited by this, particularly the liberals who claim they care so much about helping the darkie up, uplifting the dark man to achieve his best, right? Right. What happened was hell was unleashed, hell. You see articles immediately coming out like this, by, written by a little rich white boy. And by the way, I feel comfortable now talking about white boy, darkie, all of that, because we're gonna talk about racism. That's right. White boy, I'm talking about a racist white boy who put, took my MIT picture, called me an imposter, called me an asshole, a loon, all these words. Right. Okay, three defamatory articles. And then people wrote articles like this, what a effing shameless cretin. He should be hanged by his curry stained fingernails. This ain't, two th this ain't 1950. This ain't Jackie Robinson times. This is 2012 to a right. guy who's got four degrees from MIT, won every major award, been on the front page. Right. And no one stood up for me. Not one white liberal, not one black liberal, not one yellow liberal. Why? Because in their assumption, there's no way a darkie could invent email. That's right. That's right. It doesn't fit. That's right. It doesn't fit into the uh the colonial the colonial stereotype, you know, that they want to keep. And, and, and that's what people gotta pay attention to. Colonization is not just a physical process. It's a psychological and a spiritual process first. And the thing about America is what we need to what we need to do to identify this is we need to realize America is a melting pot of diversity. But that's only in real life when we go outside. But when we deal with the media or we deal with uh, aspects of achievement or who gets rewarded for things or who wins awards or gets accredited. The diversity seems to vanish, and it's always this one face or this one format of entity that we con that, that we constantly are seeing. And these same unseen forces 
are the forces that y'all need to be able to, to, to synchronize in y'all mind that have attempted and still are attempting to hold back somebody like Dr. Shiva. And if y'all don't understand, you know how powerful this is. I give credit where credit is due. Y'all don't really see me quiet on no live stream until I go live with Dr. Shiva because I, I love Dr. Dr. Shiva is probably one of the only people that I actually listen to to hear what they got to say. And with that being said, the man is a genius. You don't just get multiple Dr. Shivas in a lifetime. So look at somebody that is as accredited and as accomplished and as psychoneurologically functionable as Dr. Shiva. And he don't even get mainstream attention. That's crazy. So if you think that these people really care about the future of this country or the world, then you gotta be you gotta be smoking or something. Because Dr. Shiva, if I was running this country, Dr. Shiva's face would be on something every day, every day. If not just for, uh, you know, the mechanical forwardness of his mind the inspirational aspect of who Dr. Shiva is. And so, you know, like people look at me and they say, okay, you know, I'm inspired by young Pharaoh because he came from nothing and he went to something. Dr. Shiva was born before me. He's been doing that way before I was even thought of. So why is this country, why are these, you know, lefts or rights not blasting Dr. Shiva, if not for, you know, medical advantage, psychological advantage, scientific advantage, for inspirational advantages for, you know, inner city youth or minority youth around this country. So the reason they're not doing that and the reason that they're willing to, you know, cut their face to, you know, to, to, to despite their own beauty is because he doesn't look the way they want him to look. Yeah. And, 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 you, you, you nailed it, Pharaoh. It's it's they have projected into people what people should look and it's right. economic reasons. And if you look at this, if, if, so, so great, man. I, 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 by the way, thank you so much. You know, I think I, I love doing this with you, Farah, because you're a very enlightened person. You get it. And I think together, what I'm hoping is everyone listening, you're hearing, you know, like two generations here in some ways talking, right? We're but we're both soul brothers here. And our goal is to educate. Now, who was behind this? This wasn't a bunch of Ku Klux Klansmen, white working class people in the South. Who was unleashing this stuff, denying the facts? This racist organization called SIGCIS, an organization, a society of historians, Pharaoh, okay, by a real racist colonialist guy called Thomas Haig, who had written the original history of email that a white guy with glasses and a pocket protector had done it. What he did was write 15 minutes of code to attach text to the bottom of a file. Didn't call it email, no inbox, no outbox, nothing. At best, it was a caveman version of Reddit, okay? And this nonprofit, that's what they always are, nonprofits. Right. When stuff went in, they said, this guy's a fraud. How dare he say he's the inventor of email, right? Remember, I was just giving it to the Smithsonian to honor my mom, okay? Right. Never even wanted credit. And this organization was buddies with this organization. Now we follow the money, Raytheon. You know, Raytheon is a number, the top three defense company in the world. They make weapons. Now, what was going on at this time that needs to be understood is at that time, it's 2011, two years before that, Raytheon had bought a company called BBNN. Okay. BBNN had this, had, was always trying to take credit for everything that occurred in the 60s. We invented this, we invented this. They were a credit machine. The, the chairman of Raytheon, to give you an idea, wrote a book on integrity. 
And it was found out the whole book was plagiarized. Wow. But okay. I so Raytheon just steals other they have a history of doing this. So Raytheon had bought this company, BBN, which had this guy who looked like a nerd, glasses, pocket protector, beard, not a good looking Indian guy who's athletic, right? That surely can't be a a, a, a guy who invents email. Right. The same color, right? It must be a nerd looking fat slob. I'm sorry to say that. Okay. He's got to look like that. Right? They have to have a look. Right. And they had already anointed him as the inventor of email and the defense companies in 2009 were getting out of the missile business. Why? Because missile sales were plummeting and they were getting into cybersecurity. Every major defense company, Northrop Grumman, General Dynamics, Raytheon had created a cybersecurity division to bug our email, to watch it, right? Well, look what Raytheon had done. They had rebranded themselves as the inventors of email, you see? with the at symbol, this right. who did, and look at this beautiful Madison Avenue type advertising they've done on him. Okay. After my stuff went to the Smithsonian, they give him the internet hall of fame award because they were so afraid. All of the white dudes got together. I'm talking about the white liberal elites. Right. And so here's Raytheon. So when my stuff went into the Smithsonian, it was like a new skull was found in Africa that reset the origin of human species. Right. They had to destroy it. That's what this was about. And this organization was behind it and they get funding from this organization. So I had to do something quite interesting. You know, I had to put on my hat as a fighter for that 14 year old kid. Right. Up until then, as I shared with you, all throughout MIT, I was always fighting for others, you know, fighting for more blacks down there at MIT, more Hispanics, more women. I mean, there's huge, I mean, you'll, you'll see newspaper article of me leading massive protests. Right. Me, you know, fighting anti-war movements. But Pharaoh, this is what I got to tell you. This is sort of the essence of racism, that when this attack occurred to me, it was so devastating, man. Here I was teaching a popular class at MIT, not getting paid, helping a lot of kids, running a company had won every award and I was being called a fraud, an asshole, a dick. Thousands of calls came into MIT saying this guy should be fired. He's a liar and he's a fraud. And with all that crap, and I've talked to women who get raped, they say, you know, when you get raped, you actually think you did something wrong. And I said, shit, maybe I didn't invent email. Maybe I am a liar. Okay. Like it, it does a psychological game on you and you're being hit everywhere. Right. But I believe there's a God. And what happens is one of my school, one of my uh, students who was, my students were so upset this was going on, finds this interesting article by this guy, David Crock of shit, okay? Who was a guy who was around with these guys and he was saying, oh, Shiva didn't invent email, it was done by a collaboration. That's what they always do, a collaboration, right? They don't wanna give credit like you were saying to right. someone's achievement. They say, oh, no one person could have invented email, but this fool forgot in December, 1977, six months before I started inventing email in 78, he had written this article in wow. a famous report. At this time, no attempt is being made to emulate the full-scale interorganizational mail system. The fact that the system is intended for users in various organizational contexts by users of differing expertise. This is this racism. You see, he didn't think secretaries could ever use a computer. Right. They didn't think they could ever create a program. They, in those days, software was only for these nerds, these guys in white lab coats. They thought it was impossible to build the system, the interorganizational mail system. This is the point. These boys they never thought they could create a system which would capture all those needs, inbox, outbox, folders. They were just doing dinky text messaging, man, at best. 
Okay. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. And that's, and, yep. and that right there, um, that right there should just go to show people that mainstream media and, and I mean, not even just mainstream media, but we need to double back, you know, and, and we can't do it right now because we're draining the swamp. But once the swamp is drained, we need to launch a full scale investigation on alleged creators and inventors. And are they really honestly the original creators of the inventions that they claim? Because what happens to Dr. Shiva is not the first, you know, this is not the first incident and hopefully it will be the last, but this right here, just, you know, it should, it should fuel a fire for people to actually start getting to the bottom of what we're told and by and, and, and behind the scenes of the people that's telling us these names, because what stops the next Dr. Shiva or the next young man from inventing an invention that will literally innovate the future. Do y'all realize that email has Dr. Shiva has literally sculpted all of our futures. Like he has sculpted our lives. He has impacted our lives before we even knew this man. That is a power. That's like literally a superhero power. And what stops the next person's invention that we can't even fathom consciously right now from being snatched out of their hands from greedy, let's just say people in power. Cause I don't trust anybody in power for the, you know I mean, to be honest, so I'm gonna say the left and the right. So what stops people in power from snatching your literal ability to manifest from you and taking credit. So, you know, with this, with this, you know, when, when I see Dr. Shiva, I just want to investigate everybody. I want to say, did you really do that? Let's get, but let's get in your background. Let's see, let's see who you really know. Because if, if they attempted to do this to this man, who is a, who is a, a, a scientist, a doctor, imagine what they doing to people that's inventing things and you don't even have a GED. Yeah. You don't even have a, you know what I'm saying? You don't even, you don't have nothing to stand on that they uh, acknowledge. So, you know, the, it, the, the the level of corruption in this country is just ridiculous and the swamp must be drained, but I'm gonna pass it back to Dr. Yeah, Shiva. yeah, yeah. I, look, Farrah, I think the important point you're saying is I happen to have a big megaphone now, right? Yeah. But there's so many other people who don't have the fortune of somehow, you know, I got to get to go to MIT. I got their degrees. I got all their awards, right? Right. So, so they're a little bit stuck right now. Because I'm not being a good Indian. That's part of the box. I'm not shutting up and saying, okay, you know, master, right? I'll do whatever the hell you want, right? right. That's not happening here. But getting back to this, um, the, the point is that here's a guy, blatant liar. He had written this in 1977. He's writing articles in the Washington Post saying, oh, this was done by collaboration. And he did something very racist. He goes, he said, oh, this was good invention for a 14-year-old kid. That's like pat patting a kid on the head. No, I invented everything, fool. I invented all of it. And right. you thought it was impossible. So those are the facts. Now, Chomsky, you may know, Noam Chomsky, you know, he's a liberal left guy. I, I did research with Chomsky when I was at MIT. He's known as, he's, he's more cited scholar than Jesus Christ. Okay, he's known as one of the biggest giants. He's a guy who created universal grammar, one of the big linguists. So Noam looked at all this and he said, Email was invented by a 17-year-old. He goes, the facts are indisputable. And then the liberal elites didn't know what to do because he's one of their guys. Right. And then here's, it gets even more interesting. In the middle of this, and this is what I want to talk about, the real racists. In the middle of all of this, in the middle of all of this, so this is 2011, the attacks are 2012. I got to stop fighting back. 2013, it's going on for four years. Now in the middle of 2014, a guy called Walter Isaacson, everyone should look him up, Walter Isaacson. He's the one who 
uh, did the biography of, of uh, Steve Jobs. He used to be the head of the Aspen Institute. Aspen, this is where all the Kennedys hang out, all the white liberals hang out, all the black liberals hang out, all the yellow liberals, you know, out in Aspen. They're the ones who claim that they're fighting for the black people and they want to understand, you know, globalism, right? These are the liberal elite at the Aspen Institute. Right. Walter Isaacson is the head of the Aspen Institute, claiming that he wants to help the darkies, okay, all the poor people. Well, in the middle of this controversy, guess what? Suddenly he's commissioned to write a book. The title of the book is The Innovators of the Digital Revolution. Wow. Okay? Now, you would think email was a part of the digital revolution, right? That it should be covered. He covers transistors. He covers X-ray in the X-ray tube. He covers, I mean, I mean, radar, you know, the computer. Email is left out of it. Okay? And more importantly, this is this guy. This is the, the liberal, the white liberal everyone honors. Right. Liberal elite. Now, look at this book. These are the people, he says, are the innovators of the digital revolution. Now, this is so blatant. So whether you're white or black, I'm sorry. This is what I call racism. See, he looks like he must be an inventor. He's got the glasses, the beard, the little black thing, right? This guy, Shockley, who, by the way, invented the transistor, complete racist. He thought blacks were dumber than whites, okay? The, see these pictures? What do you see? You know, this guy gets knighted by the queen for inventing the World Wide Web and so on. Google and even a white woman. Not one, where are the darkies? Where are the yellow people? In this guy's liberal book. This exactly. is racism. Because what you're saying is no one else contributed to the digital revolution. That's right. And I want everyone to see this. This is racism right here. It's undeniable. If you don't think it exists, you're out of your mind. If you don't think it exists, you got to be the person that's making it exist because anybody would, you know, obvious observation skills or, or, or basic observation skills, excuse me, can clearly see that racism exists, especially uh, st stereotypic, I mean, excuse me, stereotypically, pictorially, systematically. And, and that's what people got to understand. Racism is is beyond. I'm not saying it doesn't exist, you know, as far as insults or negative words. But that's okay, like, ignorance. That's ignorance. I don't consider that, I consider that ignorance. But this guy writing this book, leaving out facts, leaving out a whole section of digital history, email, this and is racism. Yeah, and I consider, I mean, excuse me, I consider it sorcery on the mind as well because, yo, your reality is, is predicated upon imagery and sound. And so by these people, using racism in this format and constantly keeping a specific image of innovation, success, or whatever, what it does is it keeps you psychologically conquered to the point where not only do you believe you can't accomplish these things because you never have something that looks like you to inspire you to accomplish those type of things, you then subconsciously start to believe only people that look like the people you're being shown can accomplish intelligence on those levels. And so you know, not only is it is it racist, you know, I can I consider it personally to be so, you know, to be forms of occult witchcraft. And I guarantee, yeah. Yeah, I guarantee you, you know, if I jump off in the background of them people that he just showed, I'm going to find one that's a mason, at least. And I'm going to find one that practiced the occult. So, you know, it, it's not a it's not a, a coincidence. Yeah. And Farrah, what's interesting is in the book, Isaacson praises this guy. You know who this guy is? 
No, nope. Vannevar Bush, a very okay. nice, beautiful, you know, society name, Vannevar Bush. He was the president of MIT in the forties, and he was guess what? He was the one who founded Raytheon. Okay, that company. Right. Yep. And in the book, he praises him, saying uh, uh, that you know, uh, and uh, but many people said the day that he, who the president of MIT, left to create the big defense company in the world, that right. was when we destroyed real science because you had the collusion of academia and the military. Right. And then in the book, he attributes all great in inventions to the deep state. This is my definition of the deep state, the military academic industrial complex, which is not my word. It was a word that Eisenhower used and Senator William Fulbright used. And it was a triangle of the military, big universities and big business. This golden triangle who's who Isaacson says where all great inventions come from, not from the triangle of a loving family, you know, great teachers and a mentor in Newark, right? Right. He's saying this is where email, all great innovations. And look at this picture here. These guys fit in that to your earlier point. Exactly. These pictures, but you know what? This picture doesn't. This is me, 14 year old kid. That's gotta be outside of that. This is what everyone needs to understand. This is racism right here. It's this imagery of this image. Forget even whether I'm black. Suppose I was alien. Cannot go in here. It doesn't fit the narrative. Right. And why? Because you have to lower the cost. Because there's a lot more of these kinds of people in the world than these kinds of people. And if more of these people were to innovate, you would lower the cost of invention. You would create more products at cheaper price for everyone. So you got to keep prices high. So you got to limit who is Don the innovator. Now, my mentor, Dr. Michelson, he wrote this beautiful piece. You know, this is when all this nonsense is going on. I want to read it to people. I just want people just to close their eyes and just listen to this. It says, and it's, it's a great document because he recollects everything that I did back in 78. And he says, the invention of email in Newark, New Jersey, reveals fundamental truths about the nature of innovation and exposes the quote unquote histories and propaganda of the golden triangle of the military industrial academic complex, whose multi-trillion dollar brand, brand, yep. advertises itself as a source of all revolutionary innovations. Such propaganda are constructed and packaged by those consecrated, you know, anointed as historians who hone this branding. They're like advertisers to brainwash humanity that war brings good, good things to life, war. This cabal, you know, it's deep state, anoints and exalts its innovators, predominantly whites and a few persons of color who pledge to its hegemony of innovation, meaning these people have got to say, yeah, all great innovation comes from you. You know, you are the lords of innovation. The indisputable facts of the invention of email in 1978 by Shiva Adre, a 14-year-old dark-skinned lower caste Indian immigrant prodigy working as a research scholar at the University of Medicine and Dentistry in Newark defy such histories. The boy's invention, the first electronic system replicating the complex and myriad functions of the inner office, mail system, inbox, outbox, etc., which he named email, was motivated by his desire to create to do the impossible. This is the important point. Email was invented to digitize this entire system of civilian not military, civilian office communications, right. and not just exchange text messages reliably for military battlefield communications. 
Email was the first end user software that made the digital revolution accessible to ordinary people who had never experienced a computer keyboard or terminal. Aya Duray's evolution as an inventor and scientist continued far beyond email. This is something important. I just didn't, I don't need the invention of email to define me, Farrow, everyone thinking. I went on to earn four degrees at MIT, received worldwide acclaim and being exalted as an innovator during his 33 years at MIT. So while I was in the military triangle, I was on the front page for inventing Echo Mail, front page for Fulbright, front, right? I was their good Indian boy, right? Nice dark face. He served their needs as a penultimate ambassador and model minority, you've heard that term, to enhance their image of inclusivity, diversity, and inequality. Now, this is where the real racism comes in. This is where the real racism. However, when the Smithsonian requested and obtained artifacts documenting email's origin in 78 in Newark, on February 16th, and when Ayadurai accepted this great American honor, he pitted himself against their brand. The cabal unleashed disinformation claiming email was created before 1978. When these claims were debunked and Ayadurai continued sharing facts, the attacks escalated to a lynching. Exactly. You see, I wasn't willing to be a good Indian. I was saying, wait a minute, I did invent email. Revealing this is the real racism, an insidious side of racism which exalts persons of color. And I want everyone to listen to this. Exalts persons of color when needed and expels and annihilates them when they challenge false histories and propaganda. Malcolm X, okay, example. Yep. Malcolm, this happened to Malcolm. Mark, uh, Gandhi, no, he was a good old Uncle Tom. Obama, right. no, Uncle Tom, okay? But when you are part of their thing, you're their golden boy and you say, wait a minute, I, I don't agree with this you get lynched. That's what happened. It was a public freaking lynching. Email did emerge from a collaboration, but not from their triangle, but organically. And this is what everyone needs to know. This is a human issue about the human race in a local and indigenous ecosystem of a small medical college where a brilliant young boy, committed teachers, a loving family and a dedicated mentor solved the civilian problem. Right exemplifying countless other innovations across millennia inspired to advance life, not retrofitted from technologies intended to maim and kill. Such histories are deliberately not documented to perpetuate lies that war is good and to mask its rapacious profits. Documenting the mention of email. This is why everyone needs to destroy Wikipedia, destroy them. Therefore is a historical imperative towards breaking the diabolical trance. You use the word trance, man. That's right. Right? Sorcery. To reveal the fundamental truth, innovation can occur anytime, any place by anybody. And war and profit are not its only impetus. That's what this is about. By the way, finally, after four years, I found Charles Harder. And he took on my case for nothing. We sued Gawker. We won a $750,000 settlement. And again, the liberals didn't want to believe that was a victory. They were forced to take down the three articles. And I got a settlement. And then I went after these tech dirt guys, another bunch of racist slobs who we settled with. But the point is, this is what racism is. This is real racism. You put people in boxes. Hey, you're a guy from India. You better shut the hell up and not fight for your innovation. And if you do it publicly lynch you, hey, you're a, um, you know, you're a this, this and that, you stay in your little box. So that's the real segregation. Right. Regulation, you know, and that's what this is really about. That's and this guy, this guy right here, who you're showing, Bill Gates. Yeah. He, he, he's a nothing, 
but he's considered Oprah doing shows with him talking about Superman. And this man, yeah, he, he went and stole someone else's and flipped it. Okay. Now he made in the COVID crisis, these guys, 600 people made 400 billion. Okay. And let me get to this point here. I, I want to jump over to this. I want to make some people very aware. Um, 38 million jobs are lost. Okay. These are Americans standing in food lines, double in Vermont. And th these cars go on. This is in Vermont. You know where this is? This is Africa. Wow. Okay? No different. Okay. This is what's going on in this country. And here's an, here is a net worth of a black person in Boston today. Kennedy's, what have you been doing? John Kennedy, Ted Kennedy, Joe Kennedy, Robert Kennedy, all you fools. You talk about helping black people, the net worth of a black person in Boston today is eight bucks. Come on. This is the net worth of a white person in Boston, 247,000, 30,000 times difference, Pharaoh. Exactly. This is facts. This is from the Federal Reserve Report of That's two right. years ago. That's right. Now, now, uh, now, this does not mean poor whites are doing well, and I want to talk about that. Poor white Americans are getting poorer. They're putting everyone on reservation. So look what happened here. You see the average net worth of, of you see, of blacks and Hispanics. I mean, uh, their income, 8,000 and 5,000. Look at what's happened to white incomes. It went from 42,000 down to 22,000. Black, white, Hispanic, poor guys are all being put on the, uh, on the reservation. That's what's fundamentally going on. And right. this is the middle class. We used to have this middle class, and now we have, this is where it's headed, this middle class. A big people on top and lower. That's what's happening. Wow. So what you're talking about is this entire thing is about economics. And the economics are like this. You gotta have, look, Africans did slave trading. So it wasn't clearly about the skin color. It was a Indians were sort of all brown hues, but they had to create, okay, you are going to be in this box called a coconut picker. That's what my cast was. You are gonna only shoe horses. And they had to create a racist model of diminishing those people's intelligence. They're stupid. They're not creative. That's why innovation is so important to all of this. Because when they denied the invention of email by a 14 year old kid in Newark, New Jersey, before he came to MIT, that's an attack on all of us, man. Right. It's an attack on every single one of us. And Wikipedia, not one penny to them. They've locked my thing right when I started attacking COVID. I'm a conspiracy theorist. And it overly assumed that, no, I didn't invent email. Fuck you. Right. That's right. That's, That's right. the only answer I have. And it's a, and, and go look at Jimmy Wales's background, who runs Wikipedia, started it. So we live in a racist world. I'm talking about the real racism where people use race to pit against us, and they never discuss the real racism, putting us in boxes. And if you step out of the box, you get beaten. If you're a... White guy in the South, you must be a Klansman. I have a volunteer on my staff. You know, he's got a beard. White guy he goes, everyone thinks I'm racist. He's right. the nicest guy in the world. And in fact, in the last election, Pharaoh, 90% of my votes when I ran as an independent came from poor working class whites. Not the Indians in Boston. Right. Not the, no way. They were the racist. They're the biggest right. racist. The Indian Brahmins. We need a... We need to configure something in this country that would allow uh, the public to flush people out of certain positions by majority vote. If we can vote people into things, we should be able to vote people out of things. We should not have to wait until, like, for example, if you're a political figure, we shouldn't have to wait until your time, you know, in office is up or for you to resign or, you know, to go through certain. Oh, the parliamentary system. Yeah, that's how it should be. That yeah. It should be 
recalled by any time, any place, by anyone. Anytime. Yeah. You, have, yeah. you, have, you have a 67%, what's called a super majority. You should be able to take people out. Yep. And, and it, should, it should be across the board, not just for political figures, but, you know, for uh, law enforcement figures, yeah. for uh, historical figures. Or anybody that's in it, anybody specifically that that is in a position of influence. And if you have the power, you know, to lie on platforms such as Wikipedia, which is an information-based platform, then the people who rely on information, aka what we believe to be truth, should have the power to vote you up out of there real quick because you are. I consider it treason. I know y'all. Some of y'all might consider that extreme. I consider it nothing less than treason. Because if you are lying to the people of this country, then you are hindering the progression of this country. I think you nailed it, man. Yeah, that's a fact. So if you are lying to the people of this country, you are hindering the, the progression of this country, you are hindering the potential growth of this country. And that is something that this country wouldn't want for itself. The only person that would want that for this country would be a terrorist. And so I feel like if you're lying to me, then you're a terrorist. And so we should start, you know, uh, treason should encompass you know, some form of deceit. And I'm not saying, you know, everybody that lies should be charged with treason. But if you are at a specific level of influence and you are purposely lying to the American people, it should be considered treason. We, we should not just be holding treasonous charges for people that directly deal with people from other countries or people from other countries that deal with us. We should start holding people that are in this country lying to our face from their own accord with treason, straight up. Yeah, I, I mean... When you look at what's happening, what just occurred with this COVID stuff, you had a fake economy competing right. with the real economy, small right. business people struggling. I mean, the stock market's going up. I mean, it's printed money. It's, it's fake economy. Right. It's totally fake. 38 million people out of jobs and the stock market's going up. It's going up because they printed 6.2 trillion and they keep buying and they're pumping money in there. So you have, and the real economy is innovation. People right. with their own skills bust their, like I did, two, three in the morning, working, creating. And then people deny that. And that's where the real racism is. That's right. That's what the real racism is. So you look at the election I'm running here, okay? That's the right. GOP establishment, I mean, they should be embracing me. Exactly. But what I heard, Farrell, a Navy SEAL who worked with the GOP, you know what he told me last time? He goes, Shiva, you know? I, he goes, I didn't believe racism wasn't the Republicans. The Republicans, you know what? But I heard them actually say, we don't want guys like him. Right. It's not time for people like him. So all of you Trumpers who, by the way, I voted for Trump, wake up a little bit. Start understanding there is a real racism. Don't deny it. Because right. what you do by denying it, you make it easy for Antifa to define what racism is. That's right. And for people who don't, oh, go ahead. If you ain't finished, go ahead. You know, what, I, what I'm trying to say is what's happened is, the GOP white establishment, who are a bunch of racists, who work with the Democrat establishment, who are a bunch of racists, convinced these young kids, you know, who support Trump, you know, I, I voted for Trump, that oh, there is no racism. And then over here, that creates this vacuum. So the liberal elite, the Democratic Party, uses BLM, Black Lives Matter, to define racism in this very narrow way. When what we have to do is to say, yeah, there is a racism. And that racism takes place if you're a poor white guy and you have an accent and you go to MIT, like, you know, and, and you want a, a very good friend of mine. Right. He came to MIT really slow talk. Everyone thought he was stupid. He ended up getting an MD, PhD out of Harvard. 
He's one of the leading guys in the world on understanding primatology. Brilliant guy, surgeon, became an orthopedic surgeon. But when people first saw him, they, you know, he's an athlete, good looking guy. They say, he must be stupid. That's racism. Right. Putting people in boxes and saying that you must be confined to that box. And if you get out of it, the real racism is you destroy that person. That's right. That is a racism. When in that reading, I said that when I, so I could have just been kept my mouth shut like an Obama. Hey, I'm on the front page. I'm a cool guy. Become a professor. You know, just ride that wave. But I couldn't, you know, that, that's not me. Right? right. So when you step out of your box, that's when you get lynched. When right. the slave runs off his plantation, that's when he gets lynched. So right. we got to think about racism in that form. You can find people to be a robot so they don't think. And when they think out of the box, you destroy them. That's racism. And, and what, what we need to do to, to destroy racism outside of electing real people in real positions like Dr. Shiva, I am personally suggesting that we have a complete reformation of historical accounts in this country. We know that the school books are alive. Um, you know, and I'm pers I will personally nominate myself. You know, I just want to go on record and say I don't think there's a historian in this country, a uh, rogue scholar or accredited scholar that can defeat me in a debate. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because if you know history, then it's kind of hard to be racist or or to fall for the trick. For example, uh, Dr. Shiva just brought up an example of a Republican, you know, using racist rhetoric, saying, you know, they don't want a, a certain type of person that looks a certain way in a certain position. If you know anything about the Republican Party, you know that black people started the Republican Party. Yes, the first 150 Republicans were black. There were only 20 whites. The black Republic, I mean, the Republican Party was started by blacks so that they can, uh, you know, conserve and protect our people post us fighting ourselves out of slavery. The Ku Klux Klan, which is confirmed to be created by the Democratic Party in a court of law in 18, I mean, yeah, 1872, if you want to go fact check that, was created by the Democrats to not only kill black politi political figures, but to terrorize the black public and basically force and bully black Republicans to vote democratic policies. And so basically what happened is the KKK, which still today are being used as the hit squad and the goon squad of the Democrats to bully black people out of a political stance. And then after they literally lynched all of the black Republicans, they filled the seats with white people. And so when people say today it's two, you know, wings on the same bird, it didn't used to always be that way. But one wing killed the whole other wing and then put some feathers on that wing and it's flapping both the wings the way it was. And right. so if we just knew that simple history, hopefully it would eliminate uh, racism. But if not, it would surely eliminate ignorance. And so if you're a Republican, you wouldn't think from a... a, a a mighty whitey point of view, if I like to call it. You would know that you're filling a seat that was actually scooted to the table to you by a black person who just wanted to be free. And so history needs to be reformed in this country in order for us to deal with each other properly. So when we run into each other that may be of different ethnicities or cultures, we can know what we want. Dr. Shiva should not be present for me to know what's in his best interest. I should be able to say, okay, Dr. Shiva's not here, but this is what his ancestors accomplished. So when I get here, I'm going to make sure I put my stuff on the table, but I'm going to have Dr. Shiva stuff on the table too. Okay, this this Caucasian person, they might be of, you know, Nordic descent and their ancestors were Vikings and whatever. So when I come here and I put my stuff on the table, I'm going to make sure I got Amy stuff on the table too. 
But the problem is history is being told the same way that innovation is being told with a certain face. And the villains also get to be the heroes. The colonizers also get to be the liberators, the liberals. Uh, but with that being said, we need a complete reformation of historical accounts in this country. And I think it should be done with a one month debate. I think we should get the top historians in this country who feel some type of way about history. We should debate it out in front of the world on live. I nominate myself to represent the black community and may the best scholar win. And whoever wins should be able to write the history book. I do not believe the history book should be written by Rothschilds because they got enough money to be the assholes that they want to be. And so we need human, humanly conscious and uh, compassionate figures like Dr. Shiva at the top to take us where we need to be in the ways that only he can. And we need history books to be the foundation of our minds to show us if we are indeed going in the right way. Straight up. Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately comes down to a, a, a level of consciousness, right? If you look right. at Massachusetts, uh, in many ways, it is a center of racist power. Right. Because, and I'm talking about against blacks, whites, yellow, everyone. Because the, uh, and it's really the center of the aristocracy. When the revolution was done here, right? Yes, sir. The, what's interesting is a British East India Company, if you look at their history, was subjugating white folks here mm -hmm. and subjugating brown people in India, the same company. And they were fighting wars everywhere. And they had to give up America so they could go subjugate India. They decided that was better because they can fight a two-war two front or multi-war front. Like the same oppressor. Now, right. when they lost the war here, it's not like these folks got up the aristocrats and went back to Britain. They weren't that happy. They had to give up some, some of their power. Right. Those people, Democrats and Republicans, are here. If you look at this guy, Charlie Baker, Bill Weld, who ran against Trump, right? you go down the list. Well, Baker, I mean, these guys are the old, old aristocracy. That's right. So now you connect it. It makes sense why Bill Weld, the Republican, instead of endorsing me, has endorsed Joe Kennedy. Exactly. Think about it. Exactly. You know, a, a, a white boy with red hair. That's who gets endorsed, not the darkie. And when I say darkie, I'm talking about dark matter. All of us are dark matter, the voiceless right. one. That's right. Dark matter is not black or white. All of us are dark matter. You know, most of the universe is dark matter. That's right. The, mo our voices are not heard. So in many ways, I'm a representative of not just this color, dark matter, which is all of us, black, white, yellow, who don't get heard. And that's why I think, Farrow, this election in Massachusetts, and you got to come up here. We got to get people energized. You know, everyone should come up here and help us because we got to beat the real tip of the spear of that racism is a Republican establishment party in Massachusetts. That's right. Because they're the ones who hate Trump, okay? They hate Trump. The GOP establishment guy who runs it wouldn't want to put a Trump sign. And look, and the reason I like Trump, forget Trump, I don't know him, was that he was a disruptor, okay? He's not, he wasn't Republican or Democrat. He was his own thing, okay? He was. <laughs> he threw enough bombs at these guys. It got me excited, right? It got other people excited. It got me excited to run. But he's like a weapon in my view, okay? But these people are running around right now calling defund the police, okay? These liberals. Right. I can tell you if they really wanted 
if they really wanted to do this right, they should say, you know what? Let's arm everyone. Let's follow the Second Amendment. Let's arm every citizen, public training and weapons training. And all of us should be serving in the military a certain amount of time. And all of us should be local police in our towns. But they don't want to do that, you see? Right. They don't want to arm everyone. Because even in the Constitution, we were never supposed to have a standing army or standing police force. We were supposed to be the police in our towns. We were supposed to be the army. Right. So instead of defund the police, it should be, let's all arm ourselves. But that's a contradiction of the liberals. That's right. And it's a contradiction of if they want to slip somebody in the back door, like Bill Gates through his, you know, his, his, uh, his, his, his side chick, Anthony Fauci and vaccinate us and we can defend ourselves. Right. Um, people need to be privy to the game. And when, and when they, and when we talk about losing our constitutional rights, it is only simply because you don't know them. And, and and I'm glad you brought that up because we know that school doesn't teach us the truth. And since we know that we need to be pushing for change, you know, this is truth, freedom and health on all levels. You feel me? And health is not just uh, dietary or, or, or genetic. It's psychological, your mental health. I always tell people, if you're not mentally stable, you can have $20 million and you can't enjoy it. But if you're mentally stable, you can have $20 and you can enjoy it. So in school, we need to throw away 70% of that crap and we need to have classes that specifically do teach us our constitutional, uh, you know, laws and values, our, 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 our uh, Declaration of Independence uh, values, our Bill of Rights values. And we need to have actual education of what it means to be an American versus artificial intelligence that we're being fed through this literature because because that's all we're getting. And so, you know, if I if I had a country. Dr. Shiva would be in charge of in, in charge of the medical aspect of that country and school would be school would be strictly uh, spirituality mixed with science to 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 to, to prove to I me, mean, excuse me, to prove spirituality. So versus just talking about chakras, we're going to go get an electrosomatographic scanner and prove that chakras exist. And I would give validity to your soul scientifically. But some of you that have no intuition because you're missing one of them levels of consciousness. And so I don't see why this country is not, you know, promoting us to do what it said it would do, which is to arm ourselves, to protect ourselves, police ourselves, live separately, but equal and use science to prove the existence of whatever, whatever you fathom God to be. And so what y'all got to realize is we've just we've been on a, a freight train to Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory and we haven't been going nowhere. And I hope that y'all don't think we've been advanced. We've been devancing the world. and um. If we want to go forward, we actually have to take a step back. We have to look at the ancients, see what they did, and then encompass that harmoniously with technology, not artificial intelligence, but technology that would allow us to be, you know, peaceful with our surroundings and live futuristically with ancient principles of antiquity. And so, you know, this country can actually be great despite all of the blood, sweat and liberal racism. And, and just hor horrible, you know, formality, my vision for this country actually could be great. You know what I'm saying? And we got a lot of intelligent people. We got a lot of hungry people here that want change. And this is where this, you know, this global elite, globalist circle really needs to be highlighted because they're stopping that change. And just to throw some extra stuff in there that nobody asked for for no reason, we got things like zero point energy. For those of you who don't know what zero point energy is, you ever heard of like prana or like, you know, the life force. And so I'm going to just say 
ancients. Ancients understood that in the center of an atom, there was an infinite frequency of energy that you could digest in your body. And they drew upon this energy with each breath that they took. Today, we say we call it zero point energy. Now, zero point energy, the specific amount of energy I'm talking about is this big and not the long side of my fingers, but the short side. This is like a cubic centimeter. So within one cubic centimeter of space, it's enough energy to boil away all of the water on this planet. Every ocean, every lake, every river, every dam, you can boil all of that water away in this coffee mug. And so the point I'm trying to make is one atom could power the entire country, but we don't have an atom because it doesn't fit the economic agenda of these people that are in power. And the economic agenda is being sustained by the faces that they tell you are the only faces that can innovate the world. Yeah. So, so when we delete, you know, real racism and we understand real versus fake racism, we can start to innovate the world with minds like Dr. Shiva with minds like young Pharaoh, with minds like you and actually take this world, you know, in a proper place. And so I don't really know what's going to happen to this world because it looks like it's going to sugar honey iced tea. But if some way, somehow I magically one day end up with a country, Dr. Shiva will be the top medical entity in that country if he so wants that place. And if I hope that Dr. Shiva, when he gets into this Senate, at the time when he does, because he's going in there, we're speaking that in there. That's not a something we're willing to, to 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 just take an L on. So when he gets in there, I'm hoping that the swamp is about 90% drained and Dr. Shiva can innovate the way that he needs to innovate without any reckless disturbances and he can push this country forward. And for anybody that opposes people like Dr. Shiva, what I'm proposing is that we need to start some form of debate club internationally. Because the days of just saying we don't want to hear Dr. Shiva because we're choosing not to or we're going to not cover Dr. Shiva because we're mainstream and we don't feel like it, that should be considered treason. Because what Dr. Shiva holds vital to us all, which I fully understand, is literally the key to innovate the medical industry. Dr. Shiva's mind can get rid of everything that we've been suffering from in this country, dealing with needles and prescriptions for over 100 something years just alone. That's why I love this man dearly. So I don't think that the government, the mainstream media, let me not throw the whole government under the bus. The shadow government, the mainstream media should be allowed legally to just ignore intelligence when it presents itself. So we should start holding people accountable. I think we should start charging people with treason. Okay. And we should start a debate club. So when people like Anthony Fauci, flip floppy self, decides he has something to say, he should be able, he should be forced to back and prove his understanding against people like Dr. Shiva so that we can actually see who's right and see who's wrong. And so if we start, you know, even something as simple, like I said, as an international debate forum, if we start something like that, it will push us forward so far because we will be actually be able to prove not only who's really on our side and who's not, but we'd be able to prove who really know what they're talking about and who really don't. So keep that in mind, y'all, while we draining the swamp and while we doing everything that we're doing, while y'all talking about defunding the police, which actually would be, um, and, and it's funny how the people that suggested that, you know, y'all really didn't peep game because think about it. If you defund the police, guess who are the only people that can afford the police now? The rich people who don't care about you anyway. 
Exactly, because they're gonna they're gonna get their private police force. Yeah, yeah. So it's like y'all, y'all really y'all like, yeah, we we don't like the police, F the police, but really you're supporting your own demise. Because when you defund those police, that's when anarchists, rapists, and bandits pop up in your neighborhood and you looking stupid, and people like Bill Gates got all the police at his house. And so or people like Hillary well, 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 when you look when you look at it, Farrell, what what's happening is if you look at that chart, I said the middle class the working people are actually being squeezed. Yes. One end, you have the 0.01 percent who have all their military to protect them. Right. And the gangsters over here. Okay. They have all the guns. The people who don't have anything are the people, actually the hardworking people in the middle. Right. And so these people want to defund the police because they have the guns and they'll work in collaboration with the other side. Exactly. 0.01 percent will work with the gangs and the people get squeezed in the middle. So the only solution out of this is the Second Amendment. And is to make sure, if you really want to be pure about it or real, is to make sure that everyone is armed, everyone knows how to use weapons, and we all participate in a citizen's army, in a citizen's police force. That's the ultimate way to solve this. That's right. Because when everyone's armed, you know, there's some equality. That's real equality. I'm sorry. Yeah. Racial equality, but I'm sorry. Weapons equality is when you really, everyone knows, well, you know, I better not do stupid things. My neighbor will shoot my ass. Right. That's you need a little level of fear. And when you only have uh, power consolidated in the gangs or power consolidated in the 0.01%, you sort of are setting it up to squeeze and enslave a set of people. That's right. But I think, Pharaoh, I think um, I think this discussion, hopefully people are getting it. There is a real racism. So right. in summary, you know, those of you who are the Republican GOP establishment types who don't think that's racism, fuck you. There is racism. I'm sorry. Okay. You are the racist. And those people who are on the Democrat establishment who want to just limit racism, oh, don't use this word, don't use that word, and I believe in affirmative action, you're also the racist. And the, those two power elites get together. For all of us out there recognizing, let's admit there is a real racism, what we just talked about. And it's used to have us fighting keep us in boxes and whether when you get out of your box, you can be a Southern guy, you know, who speaks slow and you go invent email, people trash you. No, you can't do that. You're supposed to be a Klansman or a kid in Newark, New Jersey who does it. They trash you. Okay. It's putting people in boxes and keeping you in those boxes because they want all the other people that you represent in that box to be economically stratified so they could support, you know, economic imperialism. That's right. That's about they want to keep people in boxes because if more people became innovative that's going to create a golden age for the planet and overthrow their power and lower the cost of things you're going to have a golden age and that's really why the invention of the email story is so powerful it's not about me but it's about you it's about the racism that's and the attack on the human race that's That's real racism that is what we're talking about when people attack the, the human race's ability to innovate and create, regardless of where it comes from, that's the real racism we're talking about. That's this right. Is, that's, and if people can get that, they will say why no one should give one penny to Wikipedia. They'll realize why that we should recognize that these big institutions of power, the military industrial academic complex thrive. That's why Walter Isaacson wrote that book. Right. You can't, you can't have any other dark matter there. Okay. Yeah, right. you have white matter only. <laughs> yeah, and you know, how, listen, you know how these people at the top go with that, man. They they just they shove their agenda down your throat. And I and I wanted this one of the last things I'm gonna say. If Bill Gates can play doctor, 
okay, and run around the world. I think Dr. Shiva, who is who, who's more than a doctor, you know, to me, and, and y'all probably, you know, I gotta, I have to say it. Y'all probably think I'm dick riding. I'm not dick riding though. I give credit where it's done. Dr. Shiva, to me, in my mind, I have a very advanced mind. In case y'all didn't notice, Dr. Shiva is a medical prophet, and I say that because he's he's preserved. If y'all really knew what he preserved, you would you would you would value this man has preserved thousands of year old medical knowledge and conjoined it with modern technology. If you really knew what Cytosol was, you know what I'm saying? You would feel how I, I feel turnt every time I hear the word. I feel that if doc, if, if Bill Gates, I almost called that damn fool doctor. If Bill Gates can run around the world murdering people with vaccines, Dr. Shiva should be somebody that is welcome with open arms in every country because Dr. Shiva has the power to push forward the medical industry. Dr. Shiva is like an alien coming to this planet saying, do this, you guys, and do it with technology to make it even simpler for you and go forward. So the reason I've stressed this point is because you have to deal with your profits when they're here. You have to deal with your geniuses when they're here. You cannot wait until 50 years go by and Dr. Shiva transition. And then we say, oh, this guy created Cytosol. Why we didn't use that? Dr. Shiva has the power to change the world medically. Okay. Not just this country, the world. And so my support for Dr. Shiva is not only, you know, for him getting in that Senate, but around the world, Dr. Shiva has a mind that should be implemented in every, you know, medicinal school, hospital, period. And his technology should be embraced because it's not only healthy, it's not only in tune with the way the universe wants us to deal with ourselves, it works, it works, it works, it works. And so Cytosol is something that I'm going to keep projecting out my mouth every chance I get because I'm hoping that I see Cytosol around the globe. And if, and if, excuse me, Bill Gates can go to all of these countries and act like he's healing people, why can't Dr. Shiva go to these countries and actually heal people? Why can't Cytosol be instituted, you know, in these countries and actually heal people? And I'm going to let y'all know, y'all better hope I don't ever get rich. Because if I get rich, I'm taking Cytosol somewhere to see what it do. Okay. And so I just want to let y'all know that we have to, support well you know go ahead i'm, I'm sorry for what what's go interesting ahead. is when we did the last show one of your followers in sudan called me yeah i got a huge following in uh africa specifically sudan ghana and nigeria yeah and and uh he said you know uh he goes he goes you know i've been he goes uh africa has all these african herbs you know our people use it here and right. uh, and uh, we should talk about this offline, but people are interested. We may, we can do a whole thing. But Cytosol is really a technology, which is really, you know, email and echo mail, all those things. The email stuff was in some ways a diversion. My goal was always medicine because I saw my grandmother right. use the traditional system of medicine, this ancient form. And when I came to MIT, I literally interconnected east and west, like you said. Right. Cytosol literally came to me in a dream, believe it or not, because I meditate a lot. And right. Is the one that gave me that cyto means cell and solve means solving the cell. That's right. So when I put together cytosol, the goal was to actually 
look at those traditional systems of medicine, use cytosol to validate them. But anyway, this guy in Africa, one of your followers, he was saying, you know, we got all these herbs in uh, Africa. You know, we see these medicinal women go out and they come and they can cure this and this. So what I realized was our technology can be used as an ecosystem to actually enable a whole new type of entrepreneurialism. So what the model would be, if he's got an idea, we could do collaborations where we could take those medicine women, look at those analysis, run it through cytosol, validate those medicines, and then you essentially create a way that those medicine women can become entrepreneurs, right? right? Or they can get the credit. And then you create low cost medicines, which are coming out of Africa. So we don't need Gates going in there and being, you know, his white missionary. You know, it's the old missionary model. Exactly. He's going to help all the darkies. He won't even go into his own neighborhoods, I'm sure, in Washington state, which needs him, right? Or he right. won't go down the street to Portland, which is burning, right? Right. Like that. So right. you guys want to go somewhere else when they won't do stuff for their own country right here, right? So it's 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 this it's this you know guilt right or whatever he's doing it's basically control but so i think there's a big opportunity with cytosol from the innovation side to use it because it's a decentralized engine to look at all over the world where we could bring those concepts run it through cytosol validate and then essentially protect the, the intellectual property for those people so they get the value that's right we should talk about it but anyway it's been a long night i think we ho hopefully have recognized a what is real racism and what the solution is and the solution is us it's right. not going to be top down it's not black lives matter i'm sorry okay they're a wing of the democratic party now black lives do matter obviously and i'm not going to diminish it by saying all lives matter because that can be diminishing the fact of the struggle of people that has gone through but black lives do matter but the blm model when you look at it, is basically serving Hillary Clinton, the Kennedys, Bill Gates, all those people. I agree. And it should be, you know, and, and not to offend anybody, but as a black man, I have the right to speak on this. And I know it's going to offend some people, but I think it should be thrown in the garbage. And I say that because whenever something becomes compromised, you can't use it anymore. So Hillary Clinton, George Soros, all of these left liberal, leftist liberals have hijacked it. I don't understand why you would want to hold on to that for one. And then for two, if, if people, not just black people, but any any race of people, you know, wish to preserve, wish to preserve their ancestral and historical pride, you should make sure the world know your lives matter by banding together and doing for ourselves. And so I feel, you know, the same amount of energy that black people put into coming out and trying to convince the world that our lives matter. Why are we not starting our own construction companies and literally building our, our communities the way we want? Why are we not starting our own law firms why are we not starting our own banks why are we not starting our own institutions and making sure everybody know our lives matter because we making sure we know that you know amongst ourselves and i'm not saying black people white people everybody and so my thing is uh you know i'm a big i'm a big understander of only you can do for you and so if you convince me to feed you while you're hungry and i don't feed you you're going to starve to death so the only person that's going to eventually have to make that sandwich is you so if we trying to convince, you know, whoever you think doesn't believe your life, your life matters. If you sitting here trying to convince that person, obviously they're not going to make you that sandwich because they haven't made it yet. So it's time for us to make our own sandwich. It's time for us to educate ourselves uh, medicinally, scientifically and historically, and then to branch out there because knowledge don't become power until you apply it. And with that being said, um, 
I want to let y'all know I started an entire PowerPoint named. Matter of fact, let me share my screen. I'm not even pulling up the PowerPoint, but I just want to see people to see I'm not capping. Look, can you can y'all see this? Can you see this, Dr. Shiva, when you pull this up? Let me add it, add it up. Yep. See this? I got a PowerPoint right here called Dr. Shiva. And I'm going to let y'all know these are all my PowerPoints. So I want y'all to know I put work in. But this one right here is called Dr. Shiva. And, and you know, that is a that is a way, you know, that I learn better when I see things. And so I want y'all to know not only am I and not only am I fully involved with what Dr. Shiva's mind is giving giving us in this particular state of existence, I'm I'm getting it down because I'm telling y'all right now. You're going to see me pushing that cytosol. I'm just telling you that now. So don't be surprised because I'm convinced. And that's all I'm going to say. I'm convinced. And it takes a lot to convince me because I'm skeptical. I'm judgmental. And I don't believe nothing until I see it. And I'm a Virgo on top of all of them traits. And I'm convinced that this is it. And so you're going to see me fully behind it and why Dr. Shiva is doing the superhero things he's going to be doing as future senator because we're not going for no shorts. I'm going to make sure I'm on the ground doing my half as I'm disturbing people. Uh, I, I, yeah, go ahead. Farrell, thank you so much. I think everyone out there should recognize that the campaign here, look, I don't want to be, <laughs> the concept of being a politician has no interest to me, right? right? It's a nonsensical, idiotic role with those guys. So what I'm talking about is being a real agent of change, a catalyst. Right. And the goal is to serve one term. That's it, one term. And during those six years, because we, we, we're not running ever again, we're going to get a lot more stuff done. When you have a deadline, you get more stuff done if you know in life. But in those six years, our goal is to have a, build a youth brigade of 100,000 kids who also get inspired to say, hey, I'm going to enter politics, right? One term, though. One term in and out. Because if you want to do more than one term, that means you don't have a job. That means you're useless. That's right. <laughs> one term and that's it. Not like two terms. No, one term. Because if you can't get stuff done in one term... You know, you can't get stuff done in two terms. That's right. You, you know, you you know, Farrah, when you set a deadline and when I do writing, if I give myself a year, I'll get all of it done two two days before, you know? Right. Things are. So deadlines are important. These guys have no deadlines. The other important piece to recognize in closing is that when you look back, you talked about infrastructure, right? Yes, People from banks. The 19, you know, the 1960s civil rights movement, if you go back and actually look at it, there was a point where it was bottoms up. A lot of people like us coming up bottoms up, wanting to build a real movement, black and white, for right? What happened was Bobby Kennedy and the Kennedys came over and took over it. And they anointed people like Martin Luther King, right? That's right. To run, you know, because they wanted that whole march on Washington, as Malcolm X talks about, was a circus organized by the Kennedys and the Southern National Christian Conference. So what they did was they made it all about, you know, emotion, right? I have a dream. Yeah, good speech. You get all emotional, you know, we shall overcome. It should be we shall overthrow. But, you know, so they created all these songs and things like that. Got everyone all excited. But what did they deliver? They never delivered infrastructure in the inner cities. Massachusetts has an F minus minus infrastructure. You know, right. The manufacturing jobs were lost. Your bridges failing, schools failing. They want to eliminate homeschooling. All this stuff's going on. So the civil rights movement basically created a bunch of black bougies. Exactly. That's what it did. The Obamas, the Oprah Winfrey's, those people who basically thrive on racism. They just talk about it. But we never created infrastructure, which means bottoms up. There is no infrastructure in the inner cities because if infrastructure was put in, 
you would have education, you would have greater knowledge, et cetera. What they did was deliberately to create a little black, uh, a thin line, a thin strata of black bourgeois, so they could use those people to oppress their own people. No different than what occurred in it. You know, when, when the elites go to another country, you know what they do? Like they go and find the locals, train them because they're better slave masters than them. Right. Right. So you have the Obama is a better slave master than his white counterpart. That's right. What did he do when he was in office? He gave big bank bailouts. That's what he did. Allowed it, allowed the police to kill more blacks in 2015. Exactly. Where's your Jim Crow? Right. But he bailed out all the, the big, big banks. That's right. Failed. And cities were getting devastated, more black, black on black crime. That's, That's right. What Obama did. Oprah Winfrey. What is she, what is she really used all of her, you know, her megaphone for? I don't, you know, not much. So they created the black bourgeois. That's what the civil rights movement was taken over by the Kennedys. That's right. By the Kennedys. Let's, let's not forget that. And that's how they treat us. The Kennedys think they are the aristocrats, the aristocrats, of, like you said, of liberation. They're the ones who will do our liberation. That's right. I hope, you know, people have gotten a, a very different perspective from two people who've gone, you know, who've suffered racism, racism on steroids in India. I've had, you know, when I first moved into this neighborhood here, 2 a.m. in the morning, two black cops showed up at my, uh, two white cops showed up at my door and they said, uh, we, show me your ID. I go, what are you talking about? I live here. You know, I was buffed up. I shaved my head because I was into weightlifting. They didn't believe I lived here. They busted into my house. Luckily, my sister got on the phone. He goes, that's my brother. And the cop, when he left my house, he goes, I'm going to, if I catch you on the street, I'm going to take care of you. I went out of the police. Yeah. What the hell is it, what matter with this guy? I would have sued somebody ass. Huh? I said, I would have sued somebody. Yeah. yeah. Many years later, I was living with someone who I helped and she was doing something not appropriate. She called, those same cops came and they took me away when she, I did nothing wrong. Right. And this is how people get played. Right. I got arrested. Fortunately, everything was dropped because I was going to sue that woman. And when my election campaign came up, you know, one of the the Al Sharptons of the white people here, this guy, Howie Carr, put up my mugshot when he knows the case was outright dismissed while pumping his other white boy. Right. That's racism. Right. Tucker Carlson is also another big racist. I'm sorry. You are, Tucker. Because Tucker was supposed to have me on a show. And then he said, oh, oh, we, uh, there's this arrest of you. I go, Tucker was outright dismissed. And he refused to put me on a show because of that, because he's a pussy boy. Talks a big game, Tucker. He watches which way the wind blows. Two weeks after that, he talked about how a woman tried to take advantage of him. And then he came out for Kavanaugh, for himself and Kavanaugh, white boys. But he should have me on a show. That's right. He wouldn't do that because he's a pussy white boy who talks a good game. He acts like he's for talks about good stuff. But if you're listening, Tucker, that's what you did. At the end of the day, you supported racism. And, and we don't play favorites. What's that? I say, and we and we should not be playing favorites. Exactly. He, he, yeah, he talked about how he got screwed over and how Kavanaugh got screwed over, right? And I don't know about Kavanaugh, what happened there, but I do know that I was the one who was victimized. That's right. And he should have put me on as a man. 
but he doesn't. These guys watch which way the wind blows. If it's good to be sound like your radical, right? He'll go up there and do it for that moment. But they watch which way the wind blows. That's not leadership. That's right. Anyway, I think we've covered a lot, man. It was great. And, and I hope, uh, people, and by the way, just everyone should know, Farrah, maybe you could let me just bring up. Uh, go ahead. Let me just bring up the uh, the website here, and you could do a pitch for everyone supporting our campaign. Let me go here. Uh, by the way, if people want to go to Cytosol, they can go right here. But if people go to ShivaForSenate.com, everyone, um, uh, please take advantage of this. This is this is our election. Massachusetts is the center of the deep state. People should go your support the campaign. You can volunteer, give whatever you can. Um, but our campaign is coming up in less than like 70 days. We have to win the Republican nomination. That's right. We win. That's so we right. Get anyone out there, get as many people as you know in Massachusetts. Call them up. Tell them to support us. But more importantly, tell them if they're Democrats to vote to register unenrolled. Not in, there's an independent party. Unenrolled means you can go either way and vote in the Republican primary. So we win, win, win. And I'm gonna be fully. I'm gonna be out there physically. So I'm gonna let y'all know I'm bringing my whole platform and we come in team Dr. Shiva. So we're going to make sure Dr. Shiva get in there. Just get out the way if you don't want to get ran over. Uh, as we end this, I just want to let y'all know, y'all better realize who we got with us right now while we got them. Okay. And I'm not saying that in negatively. I'm trying to let y'all know, take full advantage of what Dr. Shiva is offering. The man is offering you really can't put a price on it, but he's offering things at the most affordable price. That's be if Dr. Shiva told me twenty thousand dollars for his for his program, I would not feel like he was being he was being you know he was doing too much. I would say yeah, that's about right. So my thing is, y'all better take advantage of this man while we got him because, like I said, you don't just get people like that every day. And so support Dr. Shiva. Let's get him in the Senate, and I'm gonna be on the ground. I already got a big mouth, so I'm gonna be on the ground. I'm bringing my everyone's invited here. We, we got to win. The election is September 1st. We got to win with, with a landslide, not small, but big. I'll be there. I'll be there. And we're going to we're going to we're going to turn it up. And so let's turn it up. We're going to get Dr. Shiva in there. We're going to get him the land, the landslide that he want. We're going to get it to him, get it for him. And I look forward to coming out to Boston. Dr. Shiva, I appreciate you for bringing me in your Thank platform. You. Love you to death. You know that. Shout out to all of the family that's watching. And, um, you know, we're going to continue to drain the swamp. All right. Thanks, Farrell. Be well. And good night to everyone. Be the light. Know the truth and keep up the fight. Thank you. Peace. Peace.